Hi, I'm Jama Raubach, a partner here at Mercy View. Our reading tonight is Romans 12, verses 11 and 12. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Well, tonight we are continuing our series in the book of Romans in a series we're calling um, Anthem of Grace. And we are looking at the way that Paul is transitioning us away from the very first part of Romans, Romans 1 through 11, into the second half of Romans. In the first half of the book of Romans, what Paul has done is he's given us a very big picture of God. He's also given us a very realistic picture of ourselves, but the way in which God has redeemed and made righteous sinners. And so really that first part of Romans is Paul laying down some very deep doctrine and theology about all of those things. But as we've moved into Romans chapter 12, Paul is shifting to say this is what it looks like for you and I to sing out, to live out loud that doctrine and that theology. So the series is called Anthem of Grace uh, to that End. And so what we are continuing to do tonight, and we will as we conclude this book in this, this year, is we are looking at the ways in which Christians have received the mercy of God and have a song to now sing. We have an anthem of grace that, that God has given us. It's the song of the gospel. And um, we want to sing that song out loud. Uh, to those around us here in this local church and to uh, the watching world. So as we look at our next part of Romans 12 that you're Jama read, I want to invite you to see two things tonight. And the first is this, serve the Lord with fruitful fire. Serve the Lord with fruitful fire. And then secondly, pray to the Lord with hopeful devotion. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Romans chapter 12, beginning there. Uh, in verse, uh, let's see, what did I say? Verse 11? Yeah, verse, verse 11 and 12. All right, verse 11 is where we're going to begin tonight. Now, one of the things that you're going to notice as we jump into these verses tonight is that Paul, it's almost as if he's tweeting, right? If you know the social media platform, Twitter, sometimes it's just these running thoughts, you know, it's 40 to 80 something, maybe it's 160 characters now, I can't remember. But, you know, it's very short bursts of, of information and, and you can kind of get lost in reading all kinds of different thoughts, even from the same person. Paul is really doing sort of this stream of consciousness thing here and he's going to tell us a lot of things that we should be thinking about um, as Christians and, and as members of a local church. And and you're going to see that even within a verse, um, this, well, both verses tonight, you're going to see that. He moves from one idea to another idea within the same verse, and many times to another idea within the same verse. But here's what Paul, I believe, is doing. In fact, John started this a few weeks ago as he uh, was, was teaching on, on Romans 12, 9, and 10. Really what you could say beginning in verse 9 is that Paul is starting with the very personal He's starting with the, the, the tightest circle. Uh, he's talking about our own hearts. 
This is what it looks like to love what is good and to hate what is evil. But John actually, in verse 10, as he taught that, that expanded that circle and widened that circle and began to talk about where we are going to be also tonight and next week, which is to say, this is what it begins to look like in the context of a local church. We're actually going to see that circle widen in the weeks to come to include all people, including things like the government and even our enemies. But tonight we're really in that that next concentric circle uh, as it relates to the family of God. This is how you and I are to relate to one another. So look with me, if you would, beginning there uh, at verse, uh, verse 12. Let me read that for us again. Here's what it says. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. Now, if you, you look at those first two statements of that verse, Paul is, I think, talking about two sides of the same coin. First, he says, do not be slothful in zeal. In other words, don't be lazy, uh, don't be uh, lackadaisical, don't be half-hearted in your ambition, in your zeal. Paul is saying that there is something good about working and serving others that uh, in the local church matters. Uh, there is a good tired that we should have as we serve and love one another in this, this local body. There is such a thing as bad tired as when you are um, expending yourself in ways that aren't good, but there actually is, a, 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 I think, a spiritually good tired that, that can be true for us if we have poured ourselves out, as the scriptures say, as a, a drink offering to others. There should be an urgency. There should be a, a diligence that you and I are pursuing as we serve other people. It's, it's good for us to be thoughtful and efficient and, and, and systematic and productive in what we do. It's good to be fruitful. But if all we think about as we serve other people is this idea of, I need to just be really productive, I need to be really efficient, I need to uh, try to uh, do just really good work, one of the challenges that, that comes into play is that what, what we start to do is disconnected from our hearts. And it really just turns into things like pragmatism, right? Pragmatism is when we decide we're going to do something that works without it really connecting to why, why it should be done or, or not be done. Or there's, there's a lot of times we can make decisions to do certain things that are disconnected from our values. And you can see how if you do those things, you can start to get into the ditch. But Paul wants to emphasize what needs to be partnered with the zeal that we just talked about, the ambition, the passion, and the enthusiasm of service is to be then second fervent in spirit. This is the other side of the coin. Now the word fervent actually comes from a, a word that means boiling. So really you could translate this to say that Paul says that you and I, as we serve, we should be boiling in spirit, all right? And the idea here then is not just hard work or productivity, but it's our spirit is, is, is actually what is in view as well. It's body, it's mind, and it's soul. We're all, we're doing all of those things with, uh, with a fire for the Lord. And I want you to maybe think of it the other way. Let, let's talk about it this way. If Paul is saying, be fervent in spirit, you might think, if you just focus on that, that the only thing that's important in the Christian life, the only thing that's important as you serve other people, is to 
just have a really passionate heart, right? Like you might think that being productive and fruitful isn't important, but Paul is saying that it's both. He's saying it's both passion inwardly and it's fruitfulness outwardly. So you've got to put those two things together, those two parts uh, of verse 11 there at the very beginning to say something like this. You should work hard and often for Jesus with a passion. You should pour yourself out like a drink offering. Look for ways to serve and to minister others regularly. But as you do that work, do it from the heart. Do it with a passion. Don't say, I'm practical but, but not passionate, or I'm passionate but not practical. Aim to be more passionate. Aim to be more practical as you serve others. Now, the last part of this verse really, I think, gives us the focus of that passionate practice. And Paul says it. You've heard me say it already tonight. Serve the Lord. Paul is not talking here as he's thinking about passion and ambition and zeal, some sort of general virtue or uh, trait that, that you and I are to pursue. He's actually saying that when it comes to serving Jesus, and again, with the family of God, he has that in mind. If we find that as we're serving other people, it's half-hearted, it's lukewarm, uh, it should alert us to something that may be off inside of us. Now, there may be a few reasons why there's something off. First reason may be that you are in an area of service that really you're not gifted in. In other words, there's some mismatched gifting somewhere along the way that got crossed up. And we could help you with that. That might be something that you would want to talk to your pastors here about, and we could help you find where that gifting is a good match. But another reason that, that you could be feeling even half-hearted or lukewarm or even burnt out as you're serving in the local church is that you need a break. Like you are, you are tired, you've served faithfully, there's been fruit from your service, but you need a, a, a sabbatical, you need a break. And so I want to encourage you to do that. You may not be able to take a long break if you, you know, have a full-time job, but maybe there's a way for you to get some breaks here or there or maybe take a, a vacation. But I want to share with you a third thing that has been true for me that I've been walking through personally just really over the last probably um, seven to eight months. One of the ways that your service to the local church can feel off or feel awry is that you have left your emotional life unattended. And what I mean by that is one of the real dangers, and I, I did this, is that if you're serving in any capacity in the local church, the opportunities to serve other people never stop, right? Ministry continues. But if your insides, if your heart is, is been unattended to because of some, something that's happened to you, something that's impactful to you, that's caused some, some, some stress or anxiety or, or disappointment or frustration, anger, whatever it may be, what will happen is if it, you, you will run way past your heart in the name of ministry while all the, the while your heart's been unattended to. And so one of the things that can happen in, in the way that this passion can get stifled in our lives is that we actually aren't attending to our own heart and, and, and soul. And so 
um, what I needed to do was to talk to somebody about that and let them speak the gospel to me and help me think through all of that. And I'm happy to say that the Lord has been super gracious to me, been gracious to Holly as we've walked through this together. And uh, that, that heart and, and ministry thing has started to catch back up and really feel hopeful and excited and thinking about how bright the future is here uh, at, at Mercy View. But that's, that's one of the reasons that sometimes folks feel um, like in their service, it feels there's an emptiness. It feels like um, drudgery even. Sometimes it's because you have some things that you need to work through with a trusted friend, counselor, um, to, to, uh, to attend to your heart. So this really brings me to the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening, and it's this. Serve the Lord with fruitful fire. Now, one of the things that uh, happens many times as we're serving the Lord as well is we can very quickly get distracted. And I know that that's true for me. I can get distracted in many, many ways. And there's a lot of ways that we could talk tonight about the, the directions that we get off. But just for the sake of time tonight, I want to just mention one. And one of the things that is, um, is hard for us to pay attention to is something that um, the Bible calls our appetites. Um, now, I'm not talking about your physical appetite. Some of you have been fasting today and you're really, really hungry. We're going to take care of that here in just a moment. But we're not talking about that kind of, of appetite. We're actually talking about the kind of appetite that you and I are to have for God. Paul actually says, and he's going to say this later in Romans 16 and verses 17 and 18, I, I appeal to you, brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And then he says this, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. So, so we need to take notice. This could be true for us as well. We need to take notice that we don't serve our own appetites over God. Um, Paul is saying here that many times our appetite for something or some, someone or uh, something that's, that's not God gets in the way of us serving Jesus. You serve your appetite when you treat them as the thing that gives you the most pleasure. If Jesus calls you, for example... And he does call us all to this, to self-control and to purity of mind. And your appetites call you to sexual license and impurity. And you follow those appetites instead of Jesus. Friends, you're no longer serving Jesus. You're serving those appetites. And ultimately, you're serving yourself. Maybe it's the appetite that you have for people to approve of you. And so you are looking for ways for people to, to affirm who you are um, in, in a lot of different ways. A lot of times that plays itself out in, in social media. We, we put ourselves out there so that people will respond to us and say, man, you're awesome, you're amazing. Another thing that sometimes we do, we have an appetite for, is, is uh, we want control. We want control of people. We want control of things. 
And one of the ways that this works itself out in, the, in our lives is that uh, in order to get that control, the sort of surface sin is something that you all know, it's, it's something called anger. In other words, in order for us to get control of a situation or someone, what we used to do that with is anger. But it's a short-lived deal. It doesn't sustain, right? The control doesn't last. Another thing that, that we sometimes have an appetite for is, is uh, security. Uh, some struggle with this as it relates to their, their money. Um, they would call what they do saving money. But actually what they're doing is hoarding money. And it's getting in the way of their generosity towards others. One of the things that, that some of us deal with, this is an appetite as well, is, is something called power. We will win and have success at all costs. Many times this plays itself out in the workplace. And when it comes to ethics in the workplace, we'll bend the rules a little bit in order to win, in order to be successful. We'll say what our boss wants us uh, to say. We'll play the, the office games in order to get into the inner ring. Friend, I, I don't know what your appetite is, what you might say you struggle with, but, but, but Paul is saying that if we don't have an appetite for Jesus, it's going to get in the way of us serving Jesus. And so we need to repent of those things. We need to believe anew in the ways that God is in control, not us. The way that we have the approval uh, of God, the opinion that matters the most, it's been settled. The, the, the need for power and winning and influence we don't have to do that anymore, actually, because Jesus was, um, he, he modeled for us and was an example for us of the way that, that if you are last, you're first. The Spirit wants to help us move towards thinking of our service to one another in this local church, biblically, and in order to do that, he wants us to serve the Lord with both a passion, a fire that produces fruit serving the lord with fruitful fire that's one of the things we need to run after friends now look with me if you would beginning at verse 12 i think i said earlier we were starting at verse 12 that was verse 11 this is verse 12 let me read that for us again look with me if you would there here's what it says rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer man each of those Phrases could be sermons in and of themselves, sermon series. If you find yourself wanting to go deeper on some issues like suffering or prayer, I want to mention a couple of, of things to you. One thing that you can do, because uh, we're not taking a deep dive in those issues tonight, but one thing you can do is go to our website and look in our sermon archive and just sort of look at some of the sermon titles. We've actually had a series on prayer at one time, but there's a lot of great material there. You could listen to that and and, and uh, get a little better uh, beat on some of the things we've said about prayer and, and suffering in particular. But I also want to just highlight some books here. I want to try to do this a little bit more in, in the future, especially as we come to big topics like these, and we don't have time to go very deeply. But on the, on the issue of, of suffering, I want to recommend a couple of books to you. One is a book that was really meaningful to me during um, my sabbatical, our family's sabbatical in the summer of 2020. Uh, it's a little book by one of my favorite authors, Zach Eswine. It's called Spurgeon's Sorrows. And it's a very interesting read. Spurgeon um, is one of my favorite 
pastors, preachers, writers, and uh, um, he actually himself struggled a lot with things like depression and sorrow, and he, he had a lot of, of uh, weight on him as a, as a pastor, but uh, he also went through a lot of really difficult things. He was super helpful. And then I, I, Tim Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, is just a, a great dive into theologically uh, what the Bible has to say about that. And then also with the issue of prayer, just a couple I would mention. One of these um, we've talked about before, I know. But A Praying Life by Paul Miller uh, is one of the most helpful, if not the most helpful, kind of on-the-ground, practical, encouraging reads about prayer that uh, I would recommend to you. And then also Tim Keller's book on prayer as well is really, really, really good. But let's do this tonight. Um, let's just look at these ideas really quickly. Paul says, first, that a Christian disciple, uh, or we could even say like a member of, of a local church, um, rejoices in hope, right? Now, you probably, as that lands on you, you're thinking that, that yes, like that's obvious. At least we should be doing that, right? Some of these things tonight are things that uh, uh, should be super obvious. But Paul, Paul has a point here. He, he wants us to be reminded tonight that the one who has the ability to rejoice in light of the profound hope and glory of salvation that is to come is what marks a real Christian. The present circumstances that many of you even tonight are, are walking through sometimes has a way of getting into the places where hope should be. And I understand that. I've, I've been there. But Paul is saying a follower of Jesus, because he has his and are his or her eyes on the future hope that exists for them in eternity, they can find in the present, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenges, they can find hope. Back in Romans 8, verse 18, Paul said it this way, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Those are the words, if we can have those kinds of words on our lips, those are the words of a maturing Christian. Now, you may need someone else to help you with that. I did in a moment in my, my life, and, and, and you may be in a, a, a moment in your life tonight where you're like, man, I, I don't know if I believe that anymore, Brad. I am really struggling to believe that my present sufferings are, are something that are going to be made sense of in the future and the glory that is going to be revealed in me. You might say, Brad, that seems like a pipe dream. You don't know what I'm walking through. And so I don't maybe, but someone that you're in community with might be able to speak the gospel to you this week. Say something to you like this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Maybe you're not the one that needs to receive that, but you know someone in your life that needs to hear that this week. Someone that you know is suffering. Someone that you know is going through really a dark, deep, like a deep, dark moment in their life. And they need you to say to them maybe something like this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Many times, 
we need others to speak those truths to us. But also, we need to have an eye and an ear towards those that we're connected with that need to hear that from us as well. Don't suffer alone here at Mercy View. Don't suffer in silence. One of the ways that we encourage you to, to, to get help is to put yourself in the way of what we call equipping here. So that could be in your gospel community. So are our small groups here, a D group, even the mentoring that you heard uh, Trey talk about earlier. It's a great place to sort of walk through how to maybe understand that really difficult thing that you're walking through in your life. But Paul goes on to say, that we are to also be patient or to, to persevere in tribulation. Very similar to this first idea, right? This means that sometimes things will feel overwhelming in your life to the point of exhaustion, to the point that you are tempted to quit. But Paul says that a maturing believer can endure in the midst of deep and serious difficulty and trouble if they do the first part of this first. They rejoice in hope. See, when the Spirit comes into our lives, we have God in us, right? The third person of the Trinity. And the Spirit can enable us to persevere, to persist, to continue, even when it's really hard. He enables us to not just simply survive, but rather to give us supernatural strength to both endure in the midst of the trial, but also to continue to be useful in the kingdom in the midst of the stress of the trial. Paul said back in Romans 4, verse 3, that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. That's what suffering can do if we will turn to our hope in God. And then at the end of verse 12, Paul says to be devoted in prayer, right? Paul is talking about the discipline, the spiritual discipline of, uh, of prayer here, but he's saying to do something with it in particular. He's saying be devoted to it. Paul says in another one of, of his letters, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. A maturing follower of Christ Praise faithfully and constantly. Um, this is the second thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. Pray to the Lord with hopeful devotion. Um, now, here's what's true about this. Um, most of us would agree that uh, some kinds of praying would not be called being devoted to prayer, right? For example, praying only when a, a crisis hits isn't a pattern of devotion to prayer. Praying only at mealtimes, <clears throat> it can be a pattern, but is that the same thing that Paul is talking about here in being devoted to prayer? Even a short, now I lay me down to sleep prayer at the end of the day is probably not being devoted to prayer. Those things are good, but, but I think we would agree that Paul is expecting something more and different from followers of Jesus when he says be devoted to prayer. Devoted prayer, I think what Paul means by that is a pattern of praying in your own quiet time with him in a regular way, but also praying with others, praying with others in this local church. Again, those places we just talked about in your D groups, in your gospel communities. At the end of our service tonight during communion, we actually have 
a, a prayer team that's here to pray with you and for you, for whatever you may be walking through uh, in, in your life. That's a way to, to be devoted to prayer. They're devoted to praying for you. They would love to pray for you. But another thing that, that you might want to ask the Lord to grow your heart in is something called intercession or interceding prayer. And one of the ways that you and I can be devoted is praying for others, praying for your pastors here, praying for leadership here at Mercy View, praying for the ministry that happens here at Mercy View, praying for future ministry, future mission. Those are ways to be uh, devoted to prayer. But one of the things that um, uh, is really interesting to me about this word uh, devoted here in this verse, it's a, it's a word that Jesus actually uses in Mark 3, 9, when he said that he told his disciples to get the boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. In other words, Jesus was saying, I want you to set apart, I want you to devote for the purpose of taking me away, just in case the crowd becomes threatening, uh, I want you to set apart a boat. So devoted means dedicated to or appointed for it. And if, if a boat stays in the dock, it's not useful, right? We're not using the boat for its intended purpose. It's meant to be used. It's meant to get out on the water. Its assigned task is to be used. Now, that's the idea that Paul has here. We should be dedicated. We should be committed. We should be steadfast in our prayers in the same way. The question is, are we? Now, this doesn't mean that, 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 that prayer is all that you do. But think of it this way, being devoted to your spouse, if you have the blessing of being married, doesn't mean that all you do is hang out with your wife. But it does mean this, your devotion to your spouse affects everything in your life. So being devoted to prayer doesn't mean that all you do is pray, but it does mean that there should be a pattern of prayer in your life that looks like devotion to prayer. Now, again, if, if all we walk away here from tonight is, you know, be a better prayer, uh, be a better sufferer, <laughs> serve better, um, we've missed the point of what Paul is trying to do here. Paul is saying uh, in the first part of Romans, we, we saw this, he says it over and over in all kinds of writings in the New Testament that the, how we work, how we pray with zeal and with passion and devotion is always based on what Jesus has already done for us. Jesus has served us first. Jesus has prayed for us first. And it, it is that sacrifice and those prayers from Jesus that come our way and all, all, all we're doing now is we are giving back to him what he has bought with his own blood, which is our whole lives. It's always that Christ accomplishes his work in the world by working through us. Our serving is always a receiving of Christ's serving us. Our prayers are always a receiving of Christ's prayers for us. Our life is one of constant trusting and depending and receiving of Jesus in our work and in our praying. Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 28 through 29, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil. 
struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. We look at Paul. Paul is serving. Paul is toiling. Paul is struggling and, and fighting. But deep down, all of those, those gifts that, that he is working out in his life are from the one that he serves. Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that it is with me. Paul works hard. He's not slothful, but in all of his working and serving, and it has this effect um, of Christ serving him. So friends, this should be true for all of us as well. Serving Christ, praying in Christ is a continual trusting and depending and receiving. I would go so far as to say that serving Christ and praying in Christ, particularly in the context of a local church, um, is the way that, that you and I respond to this charge tonight from our, uh, from our friend Paul. Paul is saying, as he widens the circle tonight, that one of the greatest privileges in the world that you and I have is to serve one another. We talked about this last week. And, and, and the reason, though, that, that Paul is able to say that is because he knows in his own life that the greatest person in the universe has not just called him into service, but has become his servant as well. And, and he's done that in Paul's life. God has done that in Paul's life so that all of Paul's serving, all of his praying is trusting and depending and trusting on God. And that should be true of us as well. The reason that God has done it for us as well is so that the giver, God, gets all the glory. If we served him and prayed to him because he needed something from us, we would get the glory. But if we serve him, so it says in 1 Peter 4, in the strength that he supplies, when we pray to him that, that, that he would work through us, be devoted to that kind of prayer, he gets all the glory. In our serving Jesus and in our praying to Jesus, we get the help and he gets the glory. Let's pray together. Absolutely.